Southern Queries. I'm India Bastien. And I'm Aubrey Calvin. Together we explore being a part of the LGBTQ community in the South. A quick note on terminology. On this show, we let guests identify in the best way they're comfortable with. Some of the terms or topics might be different, new, or uncomfortable to you. That discomfort is part of what we're exploring together. We encourage you to listen with an open heart and continue these discussions with your larger community. We encourage any meaningful and politeful feedback. Thanks, and welcome to Southern Queries. Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode of Southern Queries. This episode is all about lesbian bars. Not gay bars, but lesbian spaces. We're talking about spaces that are female or feminine-centered. Not that there's anything wrong with gay bars, but across the country, the number of female-oriented queer spaces are actually on the decline. There's less than two dozen left in the entire country, so we have two great interviews for you. Uh, we talked to the phenomenal Kathy Jack. Uh, she's the general manager of Sue Ellen's, which is the lesbian bar here in Dallas. And she's just an overall icon to the Dallas LGBTQ community. In 1989, she was the Grand Marshal of the Dallas Pride Parade. She's been an activist. She's raised money for, for AIDS funding. She has been an LGBTQ liaison for the Dallas Mavericks, our local basketball team, and really her whole professional life has really been about protecting and preserving safe spaces for North Texas gays, lesbians, queer people. And she's just a phenomenal inspiration and she's a phenomenal person to talk to. And we're so excited to bring you that interview. But before that, we wanna talk to the, the group behind the Lesbian Bar Project. If you go to lesbianbarproject.com, you will see an organization that is trying to raise money for the few handfuls of lesbian bars that are left in the United States. Now, full disclosure, this group is in Brooklyn. They're not based in the South, and I know we'll forgive them for that, but they were so much fun to talk to, and this was an insane interview. We had six people on, and we were coming from six different locations, so the audio was the really the best we could do. And we hope you enjoy both of them. So let's just jump into the questions. I think the first thing we want to ask you all, and this is the first time we've done a panel type conversation. Can you tell us your, your names, how you identify, and what pronouns you use? I'm Erica Rose. Um, uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers. And uh, my position on the Lesbian Bar Project uh, is co-director. So I identify, I'm a cis, and I identify as a lesbian, as gay, as queer, and as a dyke. Awesome. Welcome. Hi. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Alina Street. Um, I'm the co-director of the Lesbian Bar Project. My pronouns are she, her, hers, um, and I identify as um, lesbian and queer. <laughs> my, name, <laughs> my name is Charles Hayes. Uh, I am one of the co-producers for the Lesbian Bar Project. I am a cisgendered male and I identify as gay and queer. <laughs> okay, hi, my name is Lily Ali Oshatz. I use she, her pronouns. I identify as a genderqueer woman, um, sort of cis adjacent, who will help me? Is it a lifetime of this? Uh, and my sexuality is queer, is the best label, but I use lesbian, bisexual, pansexual, dyke, that's, that's it. Awesome, so I guess my biggest question is what led to the creation of the Lesbian Bar Project? And I don't mind whoever wants to answer it, um, but I have, I have so many questions. So what started this? Um, it started with a phone call between me and Alina. Um, so Alina, I mean, we're all buddies, we're all friends, and um, but Alina and I um, are both filmmakers, and we were talking in. We actually spent the last day of pre-quarantine life together at Ginger's Bar, and Lily was there too. And uh, Ginger's Bar, which is a lesbian bar in Brooklyn, and um, a couple weeks into 
like really the height of the pandemic in New York where it was miserable and there was a lot of death and despair. There was a couple of articles that came out about the uh, uh, the staggering decline of lesbian bars in this country and the really low numbers. So we were talking on the phone and kind of reminiscing about like, you know, our spaces and we were like, we have to do something about this. And we wanted to use our voices as filmmakers and uh, storytellers to really um, give immediate access to these bars to tell their stories and to raise awareness and to kind of build this campaign. So then we brought on one, our wonderful producers, Lily and Charles, um, to really round out the team. And we kind of just started chatting about what this is. Um, so that was kind of like the, you know, evolution of the first stage. And when she says we brought on producers, Erica and I were in the kitchen and I was like, I'm sorry, what can I do to help? And then I was like, I'm an old theater hag. So we definitely need Charles because he knows film and here we go. Yes, that was the way in which um, it happened specifically. Um, but yes, I was talking about it with Lily in our kitchen and I, and then Lily was like, yes. And then I was like, oh, we should also bring Charles on because he's just the best. and. Um, and yeah, and then we kind of formed our team and we all love each other um, immensely and have a really active group chat. Um, yeah, and we've been working on this like daily uh, since April um, and it's really been the highlight of, of this difficult time really. We've been, it's, it's been a really nice time to a really great, yeah, mission. So and just to kind of be clear here, none of you own bars, you don't manage bars. This is just a grassroots thing of four friends who said we got to save these spaces and that they're important. Yes. Yeah, that is so think, cool. I think an important part of it too is that we're all four artists who are out of work because of the pandemic. So at our slowest time, we were like, what can we do? What do we have control over? And we tried to set to work with our skill set. All very interconnected. But to answer your question, yes, this was really a grassroots effort among four friends who just really cared about our bars and didn't want to see it go. And um, frankly, it's unacceptable that the numbers are this low and they were this low before the pandemic. Um, and they're, you know, it got worse when the pandemic hit. And we are using our abilities as storytellers to really make sure that more spaces can um, come to fruition in the future. How did the partnership with Leah Delaria and Jägermeister come together? I mean, I think that's really gonna contribute massively on getting the word out. I think, it, I mean, that was a long and arduous process as well. I mean, <laughs> as Alina said, we've been working on this <laughs> since April. Um, and I mean, naturally, when you think about saving bars, you think about, you know, the goal was to partner with the brand because as you know, like with grassroots projects, you, it's easy to get lost. It's easy to not get the visibility that you need in order to actually have an impact. Um, and so the thought process was always to partner with the brand. And we went through a number of alcohol brands um, and a number of- So much, like so much pitching. <laughs> Lots of pitching. You no, know, actually, I, I will I will say it really wasn't that much pitching as like we actually got Freak out. Yeah, we <laughs> got we knew we narrowed our list pretty quickly. We knew that we wanted to go with an alcohol brand because it felt like a really natural pairing, obviously because of bars and like liquor. And the thing is is that if you, we looked at the industries that were doing well during the pandemic and alcohol sales had been through the roof. So it made sense to us and it was a really natural calculation to target that, especially because, and this is controversial, uh, alcohol companies tend to really target LGBTQ people, which, you know, there's been a lot of like media coverage on, you know, how the adverse effects of, effects of that. But I think we all agreed that we were like, fine, if they want to exploit us, we want to exploit them back. Um, but uh, really it was like, we narrowed it down and we did, we did have a lot of meetings and a lot of pitches, but it, it, in terms of getting the brand partnership, it was actually looking back in the grand scheme of things, it was pretty quick. And Jaeger was like, obviously our most natural partner because, and we were all really excited when we started talking with them because of their Save the, Save the Night initiative, which is their initiative um, on a global scale 
to help uh, nightlife uh, workers and places get support and recognition during this time. So of course we were like, you know, a, a microcosm of that initiative. So it felt like a really natural, great fit. Um, and that's how they came about. Um, so yeah, it was, it felt like in the moment, it felt like a lot of pitching, but then it was like, yeah. back, it's like, it was like, you know, once Jaeger came on, it was like game over. Well, also we weren't going through an agency, so we were all independent and uh, we, uh, we learned the art of pitching, but also finding who the right target uh, brand could be. So that was, that was a really interesting part of the strategy process too. Um, and I, and yeah. I think a lot of that is coupled also with the Leah Delaria partnership as well, because, you know, we thought about who can be the voice here? Who can, you know, be kind of a unite, unifying voice that can bring older generations, but also be appealing to newer generations, but also have a tone that leads to the, the empathy and the feelings that we want to convey in the piece. Um, and so we went through a few, a, a couple names, um, and Leah was on our list. And um, similar to what Alina said, it was a little bit of like, oh, well, do, you, do we know so-and-so's manager or who reps them are we connected in any sort of way or like you know you start looking through your rolodex and your network of people and seeing how you can get there or even just like it's, it wasn't really cold calls it was cold emails and hoping that <laughs> who's the, the person that can be the referral to the referral yeah say, exactly i know you from my theater days and do you know this person <laughs> and knows that person exactly i mean um, for the magic of the uh quarantine it's like you end up connecting with so many more people than you would in person you're highlighting yeah. 15 bars but only 14 yeah. of them are part of the donation process yeah actually that's that's a, a new bit of information is that pearl bar in houston is also forgoing their cut so at this point we are highlighting 15 bars and there are 13 bars that will re be receiving a cut of the money so it's not split 15 or 14 ways but 13 at this point um, that conversation with Kathy was really interesting because I could hear in her voice, she was like, I have been that bar owner, that bar manager who is on the cusp of having to close and has fought my way out of it. And since Sue Ellen's is owned by a larger um, company, they have, and they've been around a really long time. They are not at that brink right now due to COVID. Um, I mean, everyone's struggling, but they are not in danger of closing. And she said, I feel guilty putting my hands in someone else's pockets. And she said, I, cause wow. when I, when, yeah, when she told me that I said, well, you're the first bar owner to say that to us. And she was like, yeah, we're not taking a cut. That sounds so, like the it, Kathy we talked to, doesn't it, India? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's really her. That's, that's really her. <laughs> yeah, she's, she was really incredible. And we're really happy to have them included because part of it is I, I have never been to Sue Ellen's and I really want to go and I want to spend my money there. You know, like it all is going to be recycled back into our community. You should. It's the only lesbian bar I've actually been to on the list. So <laughs> yay! <laughs> yes. my local one. Um, so I've been to four of the bars on your list. Which ones? Um, two of them in New York, and then uh, MSR in Atlanta, and um, Zoellens in Dallas. In New York, I've been to Henry Henrietta and uh, the Cubby Hole. Mm -hmm. And I gotta say that the difference between Northern lesbian bars versus Southern lesbian bars is massively different. So I was really excited to see that there was not one, but five in the South. Mm -hmm. uh, which is really impactful. So I'm really excited for you guys to cover those bars because they're even more safe havens. Yeah, I don't know, at least in my experience, it was I, even more of a safe haven than any other place. What, if yeah, people wanted to donate, sure. because we, we, you set this up as a first 30 day, like four weeks to raise as much money as you can. If people wanted to donate, where would they go online to do that? They would go to lesbianbarproject.com. Um, on the, our website, you can find um, information about the bars, the remaining 15, um, as we you know decide how we include the ones that have popped up, that information will appear a little later. Um, you can also read testimonials from the bar owners and from certain, uh, certain patrons in the, in the different spaces. There's a map that kind of like 
lays out where all the bars are and takes you to their their pages. Um, and the donate tab is on the home page as well as on the donate specific uh, page. Okay, I like that. I do like and I was, I like the map. The map was for us visual people. That helps. <laughs> well, a Texan made that map. Yeah. Our our animator programmer is in Austin. Oh, cool. <laughs> Yeah. That's amazing. So what's the next step for the project? Where are you guys at in the timeline? Well, the 20, so we're going to do a couple of um, virtual events within the 28 day, uh, four week period that um, uh, are going to be announced on our website uh, next week. Um, so people can tune in for that. Um, and then we're really going to kind of uh, build out the phase three, which is going to be an episodic uh, docu-series on these kind of centering on uh, these lesbian bars and the queer space. Um, so we're going to develop that and have updates for people uh, probably in as soon as possible. Kathy, thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, India. Well, this is such a big deal. And just for those, can you just start by maybe telling us how you identify and which pronouns do you use? She, her. But. Well, um, I'm gay. I'm obviously a proud lesbian. Um, I don't, the labels for me right now, for me personally, are not that important. I mean, I get called sir a lot. Um, which I think is really funny um, for most people that meet me in person. Um, you know, I have short hair and I have, you know, I'm, I'm big, I, I'm, I'm big, well, I'm about 5'10". And so, you know, people that see me from the back, I understand if they think I'm a man, but oh, well. I know, but, I get it. I'm 5'9", so, so I get it. <laughs> yeah. So as my mother used to say, you can call me anything you want to, just don't call me late for dinner. So I, I don't, I don't really care. I understand how important right now that the pronouns are for most. For me, it's really not that important. So um, it, uh, I'm very proud to be in the gay community. I'm very proud to be a lesbian, but I, uh, I relate to just about anything. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. My uh, fiance has that same uh, situation. She has a very masculine of center kind of personality and uh, a men's haircut and people stir her all the time. And yeah. she just giggles. Actually, I think she finds it um, kind of fun to kind of, you know, make fun of the situation. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, my, my answer normally is, eh, you know, if they come at me with, how are you doing, sir? I'm like, I'm having a great day, but you might want to get your eyes checked. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I noticed, you know, because I'm transgender, uh, and I've noticed that whether I'm mammed or sir depends on whether I've gotten my hair done. Exactly. I so get right that. now, I don't have my hair done. It looks horrible, but I'll get my hair done on Friday again, and it'll be all curly and purple, and then I'll get all the mams, but... Right now, I get a bunch of sirs, so I totally get that. <laughs> yeah, I get I get the sirs when I get my hair cut, too. Um, right now, my hair is really long because of the pandemic. But um, yeah, I, I think your hair looks great, and it shouldn't matter what, what kind of hair you have. Just, you know, wear it proudly, and I'm proud, I'm proud to know you. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> so, Kathy, I know we usually ask people about their coming out stories, but I've seen you talk about it elsewhere. Um, so instead, I wanted to ask you if you could tell us what your first experience was at a lesbian bar. Um, wow. I, I can't. Uh, I have several. Um, my first experience at a lesbian bar was um at a place called the conference room i was very young uh, i think i was probably like 15 or 16 and uh, i went with a friend of mine who was older uh, that that was my problem that's what got me in trouble so much when i was younger because i was always hanging out with older people and they always <laughs> you know they they would drag me around to these places but you know i was curious because i'd been uh, you know i felt um, that i was uh, in the wrong body for many Many, well, when I was five years old, I had my first experience with feeling that I wasn't, something wasn't right. Mm -hmm. um, 
but anyway, uh, I went to a place called a conference room and when they, um, when you go in, there's a double door, you go in the front, the first door, and then there's a big mirror that you can see that points outside uh, so they can see who's coming in. Mm-hmm. So they won't let you in. They buzz you in. They won't let you in until they see who you are and um, that you're not a threat. Um, so we got in the first door and then they saw that we were fine. So they, you know, they asked for uh, IDs. And of course, I had my fake ID and we went in. And um, it was really strange to most people that I tell the story to uh, and thinking back on it now. But at the time, it was the norm. Um, you, you, they tell you when you come in that you can come in, you can get a drink, you can, um, hang out with your friends, play a game of pool, play some, uh, pinball games, do whatever you want to. You can dance, but if you see the red light go off, you have to immediately scatter. Mm. And, um, and if you're, if you happen to be, uh, you know, intimate with someone, same, same thing goes, can't have your arm around anyone, can't be holding hands, um, because you run the risk of getting them in trouble and also getting arrested. So in my case, because I was young, too young to be in there, I, um, they told, my friend told me if, if anything like that happens, she'd been there one time that that had happened when the cops came in, um, the red light goes off and everybody scatters. Um, she said, if that happens, go to the bathroom. There's a window in the bathroom. Open the window and go out. The, you have to jump up on the, on the sink and jump up out of the window. So, what? yeah. Oh my so that didn't happen the first time I was there, but that did happen several other times when I was there uh, later on before they closed, before they ended up closing. Did you ever have to jump out the window? I did have to jump out the window. Yeah, wow. I did. It was really funny because one of the girls that was like two two people behind me, she jumped up on the sink and the sink fell off, and oh. we had to turn around and go back and get her. And uh, it was it was oh. crazy. It's one of those things that you see in a movie and you don't ever believe that really happens, but it actually really did happen. Oh so. wow. Well, it's just so tragic because these are supposed to be places of refuge, places yeah. where you can be yourself or be around people that are like you, and you're not even safe there. Well, I think in that time, that was as safe as you could be, you know, mm-hmm. unless you were in your own home. But, you know, your own home, you could still be, um, you know, you, you were still subject to people coming in and, and, and seeing what kind of lifestyle you lead and that. And, you know, I was, uh, we were kicked up, my, my first uh, girlfriend and I were kicked out of Garland, literally kicked out of Garland for being gay. Wow. That is so, insane. Yeah, we, we, we had a, a, I'll make this long story very short. Basically, we got thrown out because we had a Super Bowl party. She and I both were uh, hairdressers and uh, we had a Super Bowl party. We never had parties because we were always at school um going to hairdressing school and uh, make a really long story short we we kissed our friends goodbye when they left and we did it down in the parking lot of the apartment complex that we lived in and i guess there were some complaints about whatever you know girls kissing in the parking lot so we got an eviction notice the next day and then we went to the court about well, whatever it is 15 days later and they and they said, we don't like people like you in our city. You know, you've got 10 days to get out. So we wow. moved to Dallas. Oh, my gosh. Wow. wow. So, so now, t- even today, when my wife says, we got to go to Garland to get some, I said, you're going by yourself. I'm you're not going. going back out there. I'm, I'm not, not going. going. I don't wow. care if it's 2020. I'm not going. That was a great story. Both of those stories. I'm like kind of mind blown over here. Yeah. Well, it's funny because when I, uh, when I talk to younger people, uh, about these stories, even my employees, which mostly are young, um, younger, um, you know, they'll just look at me like I'm talking a different language. They just don't understand how that could be. And I said, well, you know, I even talked to friends of mine that I, that were older than me back when I was 15 and 16 and 17 and too young to be in the bars. And, you know, they would tell me stories that blew my mind. So it's just been an ongoing um 
you know, everybody breaks a barrier and hopefully in my lifetime, being in the situation that I've been in, luckily, you know, kind of in the spotlight and kind of in the forefront, um, I've been a part of breaking some of those barriers that hopefully, you know, knock on wood right now, things are so up in the air. Um, hopefully we, um, you know, we'll never have to go back to that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. it's, it's crazy to think back on it. It makes people laugh, um, you know, cause it is so ridiculous that it is funny, but I was telling my brother that story one day, um, because he lives in Rowlett, which is right on the border of Garland, and he asked me something about Garland. I said, no, I got kicked out of there when I was younger for being gay. And he said, what? You know, he was in the uh, law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, um, yeah, I can't remember the man's name, the judge's name now, but I, I could then. And he said, oh, my God, he's still on the bench. No, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, and I, I just find it interesting because you had this experience where these bars weren't safe, but now you manage the uh, really the most prominent lesbian bar in Dallas. And before that, you managed the Unicorn, uh, right. which is a bar that closed. And you said in your uh, outrageous oral history that it became a Mexican restaurant. Um, yes, still there <laughs> so, today. So I keep reading about these these these, these lesbian bars that are closing, and it's not just Dallas; it's across the country. Why yeah, they're using these spaces. Well, you know, I've been asked that, as you probably have mm-hmm. heard. Um, you know, because it is it is a big story right now. Nobody really has the answer, but I think my um, take on it is that women, you know, women have never been really great about going out and supporting bars and not because they don't want to but because you know they don't have the kind of expendable income that a lot of the men do and um when they get to a certain age unlike some of the gay men that i know when they get to a certain age if they're not you know in a in a relationship then they tend to spend money on things that really benefit them and uh, you know, like homes and cars and whatever trips and you know whatever makes them happy. Going out to bars is really not, you know, up there on the top of their list of things that they feel like they need to do. Now, also, um, I live in Oak Cliff, and um, my wife and I never feel like we need to go to a bar in order to be ourselves. Um, and I'm not want to have a lot of PDA. I've never been like that. But, you know, if we want to hold hands at the dinner table or while we go out to wherever we go here in Oak Cliff, nobody cares. And yeah, I, think it's, I think it's like that a lot of places. Now, there are some places in the DFW area that I wouldn't be caught dead doing that. But a lot of places are like that. And um, I think that's a great thing. So if that's part of the reason why some of the lesbian bars are closing then I'm all for it. Um, I think the reason why Sue Ellens has had its longevity, um, you know, I'd like to I'd like to say the main reason is because we've always been very open to let anyone that wanted to come in and party with us in to have a good time. And a lot of lesbian bars were not that way while they were open. They wanted women, and because they wanted women to feel safe. Mm-hmm. And that was their way of making them feel safe. In their, in their minds, the only way to make lesbians feel safe is to make it a lesbian bar and nobody else comes in but lesbians, unless, you know, somebody happens to bring their parents in or whatever. Um, I was never that way because I went to lesbian bars in, while I was young and I, I always missed the guys. You know, I love gay men and I always missed partying with my friends. And so when we opened Sue Ellen's, I said, it's certainly going to be a lesbian bar, absolutely. But um, I'm not gonna ever turn anyone away that wants to come in and have a good time. Now, if they wanna come in and give anybody a hard time, they'll be, I'll be the first one to ask them to leave. But um, the fact that we were on the strip with so many other um, straight people or gay people, uh, I think that's helped us. Mm-hmm. It's harder when you're out there just all by yourself in a, st- in a shopping center somewhere and you've got a storefront or if you just got a, you know, a, a, you know, just a bar in the neighborhood and you're all by yourself. But when you have a, a, 
four or five bars on, on one street, then you get a lot more foot traffic. And so those two things put together, I think have, have, you know, um, caused uh, or aided in keeping Sue Ellen's going for as long as it's been going. The fact that it's been around for 31 years now, almost 31 years is pretty amazing to me, but. Yeah, um, it's incredible. Yeah, I, I used to think about, you know, back when we were, no, but first of all, nobody gave us a chance to even stay open five years. So when we finally hit the five-year mark, I'm, you know, patting myself on the back like it's all because of me. Um, meanwhile, it's all because of the people that are in the forefront, which are my employees, my bartenders, and the people that I got to entertain. You know, it, I could, you know, I always say I could write a book. I'm in the middle of doing an outline, so you know. Oh, good. Yeah. So it, it it'll uh, it, it's a good thing. It's it's just. Uh, you know, I knock on wood every day that we're going to get through this pandemic and everything's going to be back to the new normal. It's never going to go back to the way it was, but it'll be back to the uh, a new normal that we can all kind of get back in the same room and have a good time. Yeah, so um, I was reading somewhere that the bar was named after Sue Ellen a Ewing. I'm not sure how to pronounce that last one. Ewing. 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 The Ewing. TV show Dallas. Can you tell us why that name was chosen? Well, <laughs> it was chosen because of the, back in, we, you have to keep in mind, we opened in 1989. So that was a really big time for the, for the weeknight soap operas, the primetime soap operas. And Dallas and Dynasty were two of the biggest, you know, it's kind of like This Is Us right now or, or anything like Schitt's Creek or anything that you go home and you just can't wait to watch. Those were the things that were popular back then. And JR's Bar and Grill is at one end of the block, which is another one of our bars. We have four bars on the block. And so JR's was on one end and we were on the opposite end. And so it just seemed natural at the time that JR's is on one end and Sue Ellen should be on the other end. And at the time, everybody got it. You know, as we, you know, here we are 30 years later and everybody kind of goes, well, where's Sue Ellen? Who's Sue Ellen? And I, you know, I just, <laughs> I, you know, I just pointed one of my bartenders and said, yeah, go talk to her. You know, I, I, <laughs> it's too long of a story to go into, but yeah, that's where it all came from. And like I said, back in the day, it made a lot of sense. Now it, it's, it's just a fictional character, just like, you know, any, any other place that's uh, picks a fictional name. Yeah. So. So I, I read in previous interviews that you, um, you've you given about your experiences in the early 80s being a lesbian, working in a male-oriented gay bars. And for some of our listeners who may be a little bit younger, can you tell us what it was like back then working at an all-male gay bar and how did the culture start to change? Um, well, I, you know, I think it was the culture started changing when the uh, AIDS crisis happened. Mm. Um, it, it is, but let me say, when I, the very first male bar that I worked in, um, it was, it was great. It ended up being a great time in my life. I really enjoyed it, but it was hard to break through. Um, I, I started out, I was hired to work at the door, but the boss that hired me knew that I'd had experience in managing. Mm. And he said, he said, if, if you will help us out at the door, I promise I will get, you know, we're having trouble with management right now. But I, he said, as soon as I can get to a point where I can let them go, I'm going to, I'm going to put you into management. And he said, just give us a little bit. So I did that, worked at the door for about two months, and then they put me into management. Well, nobody understood, you know, why some girl that, you know, just got hired to work the door would be all of a sudden everybody's manager. But once, you know, so it was a little tough at first, you know, I got the under, you know, the, the, as I walked by that, you know, under their breath, they'd say, you know, bitch, you know, they'd call me names. Um, but, you know, everybody was young back then. Things were different. Um, and but I let it go. And I said, you know, once they get to know me, hopefully they'll like me. And that's exactly what happened. We all got along great. There, some of them are still very good friends of mine. Um, unfortunately, 
because of the AIDS crisis, we lost a lot of people in that generation. I mean, we lost a generation of young gay males. And I think that's exactly when things started changing in the community because it was very segregated. When I came in, there were there, when I first started working for Cavan Enterprises, which is who I work for now, uh, it, you know, that was 1986. And we were about three or four years into it hard by then. Yeah. And things were starting to change um, because they needed everybody. We all needed each other. We saw what was happening and no one, the government wasn't doing anything. It was kind of like, oh my God, I'm sitting here talking about 1986 and in 2020, we're going through the same thing. The government's not doing enough. Well, the government back then, you know, it was the Reagan era, and Reagan wouldn't even say HIV out loud. He wouldn't say AIDS out loud, you know, and we all wanted it to be a pandemic, and they kept calling it an epidemic, although it was worldwide. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, we weren't getting anything from anyone, and so when you can't get anything from anybody, you just go out there and do it yourself and do as much as you can, and, and, it, and in order to do that, we had to get everyone together, and there were no, well, I'm not going to ask the women to do anything, or we're not going to ask the guys to do anything. We all just got together and did it. And, and thank God for drag queens, because if it weren't for them, you know, there was no money to be made. I can't sing, and most of my friends can't do any, you know, they, they're not talented. They can't play any instruments. So, you know, I'm like, you know, you want, and you, if you ask anybody now that does female impersonation, it's the same thing. It's, it's like, you know, it's, it, we're the ones that made all the money and that's true we did bake sales that would bring in some money we did car washes that would bring in some money but if you really wanted to do a big big production then you did a drag show <laughs> yeah we just that's right. how we made the money to to do you know to keep some of these kids from uh you know to let them have a meal or pay their rent or uh you know whatever they needed and it was small. I mean, it was small amounts of money, but it was whatever we could do in order to to get it, get them through. If they needed, if they, you know, needed to go to the doctor and they couldn't pay, um, you know. So it, that's the way we. I think that's how the community really came together. And and Dallas is is different than a lot of communities uh, even today. Um, I think we've probably got the most integrated uh, gay community as far as the big cities in, in all of the, the United States. Integrated with the city or with- No, 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 integrated with different races, right? Yeah. With different races, you know, with all of us together, I think um, we don't really, I, I'm just speaking from my, my point, uh, what I see, um, we all work together and it doesn't matter whether so-and-so, you know, somebody's running uh, an organization that you know, and he, you don't happen to, you know, understand what he's all about. It doesn't matter. You know, we got to get this done. And so we all just work together and it's been like that. I worked with the parade committee for 20 years and, you know, we just never saw the, the, the guy and the girl or the black or the white or the Latina and the, you know, Asian. We just never, it's just never been that way. Mm. Yeah. And that's powerful for sure. Yeah, it is. Uh, so Sue Ellen's opened in 1989, uh, and it was before the widespread use of the internet. How has the internet and social media changed the queer nightlife scene? <laughs> wow, that's that's a well, that's a great question. I think it's really funny because all that comes to mind is back in the day when we wanted to advertise something, we had marquees out in the front of our buildings and we had this one woman that was like 80 years old that would make our big signs out of cardboard and do them longhand with glitter what? and yeah what? It, it was crazy i mean that's a that's why i said oh. i need that's why i said i need to write this book because it's really funny yes. Um, yes. uh it's uh yeah that that's how we had it on marquees and and even when sue ellen's open we had a we had a marquee out in front of the building and, and we would change it every Monday um, to, you know, let everybody know who was playing, let everybody know uh, what was going on. Uh, you know, if we had a party going on, we would put it on the marquee. And, and then we also had, 
you know, the, the, the answering machine that I had to change every day. And, you know, it was, it was, you know, that's that, you know, it, uh, we did everything except carrier pigeon pretty much <laughs> to let everybody know what was going on and word of mouth. I mean, word of mouth still works today better than anything. I think obviously uh, if you get enough people talking about it, um, but yeah, when the internet happened and, and, and that started getting really big, um, it changed. Well, obviously it changed everything, but, um, before that it was just, you know, get, get on the phone, start calling all your friends, tell everybody what's going on. Um, and you know, if, if enough people were talking about it, if it was something that we hadn't done before, or if they hadn't seen in a long time, you know, we were doing, we get a really good crowd, but definitely when the internet happened, it changed, obviously changed everything. So, so, um, kind of switching gears into some more personal questions. Um, you and your wife, Susie, um, you guys have been together since the mid 1990s. How did you two meet? Well, uh, we met in, uh, we actually, met in the in Sue Ellen's. No way. Um, oh yeah. really? <laughs> yeah. Um she she was with a uh, she was in a relationship and I was also in a relationship but uh she she and her partner were uh real good friends uh and good customers of Sue Ellen's and um I we you know we just became friends and started talking and um I got her, I got to know her a little bit better and she was, uh, she would tell me that she wasn't, you know, she wasn't really happy and I wasn't really happy either. And, um, my, my partner actually knew that I wasn't happy. Neither one of us were. And, um, Susie's partner, unfortunately didn't know, but, um, we got together shortly. Uh, well, we started really talking in July of 1996 and we got together in uh, December of 1996. And then, then we really started by the time she said, yes, um, um, every, you know, the, I said, you know, if, if you don't leave her for me, just leave her cause she's not good for you. And so uh, that's how that went. So we've been together now for 20, almost 25 years. And you were married in Hawaii, right? Well, we were, we had a ceremony in Hawaii because my very good friend, uh, and, well, friends, uh, she and her partner, uh, wife now, um, they lived out there and they said, we found the perfect spot for you and Susie to get married. And, and I never planned on getting married until it was legal. Mm-hmm. But when we saw the spot, we, we knew that it was, you know, it was magical. Uh, I mean, you can imagine Maui up in the mountains uh, and that and they said you know you come here you bring you whoever you want to come and we'll pay for the wedding and so wow. so we did get married there uh but or our, our our legal marriage was done in albuquerque um because i didn't i figured that texas would find a way not to go along with the supreme court decision huh. so mm-hmm. we didn't plus Susie was leaving the day before it was supposed to come down uh, she was going to be gone all summer. So I said, why don't we go in April to Albuquerque and we'll go up on the top of the mountain and get married. And that's what we did. Aww. So we're legally married, just not in Texas. Oh, well, we didn't, <laughs> we never got married in Dallas, which is really funny. That's funny. I said, I said I'm afraid if we get married the third time, it might jinx something. So we're, we're not going to get married. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Uh, and just kind of continue along those lines. So uh, Susie, she's a chef. Yes. And you two are hugely busy in the Dallas queer community, whether it's the activism work in Sue Ellen's or working for the Dallas Mavs. What do you all do for fun? Just to, just to take a break. What do you all just do for fun? Uh, you know, just if, to know Susie is to love Susie and to, just to be around here is fun because she is crazy. I, that's why we make such a great couple because I'm real, uh, everybody calls me Vor, which is the voice of reason. I'm always like, oh, you know, okay. give, give me, you know, let, let me handle this. Let me do this. And she is 
carefree and fun and funny and um you know we can just be uh doing pretty much anything and just have a good time but we for relaxation uh we like to go out for a nice dinner and maybe go to a movie which obviously we can't do right now yeah um, absolutely but but we we and she really enjoys uh, a lot of the same sports that i do so we like to go to any kind of sports activity which we can't really do right now but you know just to spend time together mostly i'm not doing anything in particular but just spend time together with because we we rarely get time to do that so <laughs> hey it's valuable <laughs> it I mean, is. that's the thing about being so busy is that you have to cherish cherish that just private alone time you have to cherish that and enjoy each other as just people yeah, yeah it, it was really funny when most people when the pandemic hit and we were quarantined um that was the most time we'd ever spent together probably since we'd been together and i was kind of a little scared about it because not that i thought that anything was going to happen to our relationship but i was like man you know that's, we're we're spending a lot of time together and um and it's it really brought us so much closer um we've gotten to know each other a little better i think um so just by doing things around the house and and you know talking more than we usually talk it's usually it's always been so rushed uh, she's sometimes we literally were passing each other at the doorway i you know either going everybody's been through it i know we're not the only couple that ever does that but it got to the point where it was getting to a little bit ridiculous with her working so much and me working two jobs um it just got a little crazy so we although we hated the pandemic for many reasons obviously um it was really kind of good for our relationship Say, what, a, what a beautiful thing to come out of the pandemic you know yeah well we cherished the fact that we we had so much time and now we're kind of you know kind of inching back into our lives and 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 you know i find myself going i don't want to do that i don't i don't want to go back to work how dare they ask me to come to work and do something you know so. Yeah. So um, it seems like uh, the American society is becoming more accepting of LGBT people and traditionally queer oriented entertainment. Like I see it on TV, TV shows, movies, you name it. Does it make it harder to carve out spaces for lesbian that are lesbian centered, do you think? Um, and what can we as a queer community do to support lesbian bars and lesbian culture, do you think? Um, uh, well, I think, you know, it's, it's really hard to say what we can do to support the lesbian bars, um, uh, other than, you know, going out and, and having a good time at one of the bars. And, and, and I say that right now for any service industry, I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's, a, you know, the lesbian bars, or the, the gay bars or whichever, I mean, all, they're all hurting restaurants, bars, everything is hurting. Um, uh, but I think in the in the queer community, um, you know, we just need to get back and realize that, you know, we we have carved this this out for ourselves. This is what we've been asking for. You know, we want to have a community. We want to we want to be left alone. We want to live our lives. We want to be we want to be part of the community, the the big community, the Dallas community. We want people to accept us for who we are and what we stand for, and and you know so now it's time to show people that we can you know live our lives we can own homes we can spend money we can pay our taxes we can do everything that we've said we we're going to do and still support that small community that that brought us here you know we yeah. uh, we spent a lot of time trying to make everyone accept us you know and, and right now um you know we're we're have we're still having problems you know with the trans community and things like that where people just don't understand you know i i still get people that say why do you have your pronouns listed i don't understand what what does this mean on your on your byline down here that you know she hurt her and her i don't understand that and i so i sit and i have a little five ten minute meeting with some people that i work with not at the, obviously the gay bars but other people 
and they they like they're like we don't understand you're going to have to explain it more and so i have those conversations but i think we're still we're getting to that point where um you know it's like everything else it's everything else that's going on in the country right now um we just have to stand our ground and and say you know we're here we're not going anywhere um you need to uh let us be ourselves. And, you know, if you want to come and see, if you want to come and play with us, great. Um, if you don't, then, you know, we'll be just fine. But um, support us, uh, support us in our, you know, when we go out to, to go to a restaurant or something, you know, we're no different than anybody else. We just want to have a good time. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So our, right. our last question for you, Kathy, is um, what does it mean or what does being queer in the South mean to you? And why do you think it's important for us to talk about it? I think being queer in the South is awesome. Because you know what, I use it as, a, as my superhero status and not my um, disability. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I wear my Texas is totally queer. Um, t-shirt as often as I possibly can. I've got an HRC. I, did, I didn't do this for you guys. I just happened to have it on. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's my HRC love shirt because there's so much hate right now. And, but, but you know what, it's just, uh, you know, every, I, I want Texas to turn blue and I'm happy with purple. Um, right now I'm happy that, that, you know, they're neck and neck and that we've got so many people fighting to Democrats that are fighting to, to, to be in office in Texas. I love that. Um, and most of those people are, you know, a lot of the people that have come up, uh, I've become friends with. Um, I'm glad to see that the things that happened this past year um, have happened with the Confederate statues coming down and all of those kind of things that are happening. And people are, people are getting it. I mean, people are waking up it's, it's kind of like we've been in this deep slumber for a long time and the people in the South are finally waking up and going, this isn't right. You know, people are walking in the streets and, and saying that black lives matter. And yeah, they do. Everybody's lives matter, but black people have been going through this for so much longer than we have. So, you know, being in the South, I don't care. It'd be a whole lot easier living somewhere blue, but to me, it just gives me more power. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Again, special thanks to the team at lesbianbarproject.com. That's director Erica Rose, director Elita Street, producer Lily Alia Schatz, and producer Charles Hayes IV. You can go to their website to donate, and we'll include links to our website, southernqueries.com. We'd also like to thank Kathy Jack, the general manager of Sue Ellen's. Today's show was written and produced by India Bastian and Aubrey Calvin. Our theme song is by Allison Holly. If you'd like to sponsor the show, please get in touch with us at southernqueriespod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at southernqueries. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week.